Someone once told me that no one says life is fair. When you hear that when you're young, you have no idea what it really means. Once you've lived a little, and then you lose everything, suddenly it makes sense. This podcast is a true life memoir of someone who lost everything and is rebuilding in search of who they once were. They're sharing their story as part of their healing process and so that anyone else out there living through similar circumstance knows that they're not alone. Hey everybody, it's Dave the Clone, back for another entry in the Feeling It, Healing It Diary of Recovery. It's day 289 of sobriety, and uh, just about, I guess a month now, maybe even a week, a month and a week. Uh, living at my parents' place. You know, um, probably for the first time in a while doing this, I'm sitting here a little unsure of how to start. I don't know 100% why, and I'm, I think sometimes I hope maybe talking through it for these entries might help me discover that, but it feels like I've hit a little bit of a wall and things might be taking a little bit of a downturn for me. Even thinking about the tenets of the show, the you're not alone, there's strength within mornings are hard that seems to be becoming more and more prominent for me as of late um, and that and the dissociation of displacement I almost feel like that is it's almost not even dissociation it's 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 almost worse than that But, um, the Sanctuary of No Contact is still proving its worth because some of the thoughts and memories are taking more of a backseat, beginning to fade a little bit from the, from being top of mind anyway. Um... And setbacks still remain real, though, and I keep trying to tell myself to remember that they're not a reason to stop. I don't really have, you know, in general, I think, um, you know, that's something we have to tell ourselves. But I think for a lot of people in some of these situations, myself included, stopping isn't really even an option, even if it was possible. Um And so that's part of what I find myself thinking about as I'm reflecting on my recovery. And I guess at this point, I'm I'm far into the rediscovery part of the recovery. 
I'm not sure what I'm rediscovering, though. In fact, I, I'm, I'm worried that some of it's becoming a regression because of how... I don't know if confused is the right word, but definitely lost. Feeling very lost. Um... And I've never felt more strongly about the sense of living through a nightmare to chase a dream. I'm actually almost at times, definitely in the last two weeks, and I know it's been several weeks since I recorded an episode, but for sure in the last two weeks have been feeling like it's a nightmare, you know? Um... A lot is weighing very heavily on me as far as how disappointed I still feel in myself for being in this situation, for orchestrating this situation, whether it was by conscious effort or by, you know, ignoring red flags and not thinking more about long-term ramifications or consequences. Uh, I'm trying very hard not to beat myself up over it, but it really... uh, I guess that's the part for me where the past continues to lurk, right? Because every point of difficulty, if I'm being truly accountable is traced back regardless if it's traced back to a a relationship it's definitely a relationship I dove into head first so the past is lurking for me and the emotional relapse has been pretty real there have been a lot more days in the last two weeks where I've almost felt like the anxiety and depression are becoming overwhelming I actually had a a friend mentioned to me that maybe it's time for me to think about getting on some kind of medication for this because I, I'm at a place where I can't afford a spiral like this to throw me off of whatever progress I've been making, right? And I don't know, I mean, I'm now in a really good routine of doing these five mile walks, five to six mile walks every morning. I take maybe one day a week off to let my legs and my feet recover from it a little bit. But, you know, my physical health is definitely a concern that I have to put some effort towards. And a lot of the medications in this realm often come with the side effect of gaining weight. And I'm really nervous about what kind of new psychological battle would arise for me if I were to suddenly be gaining weight from the thing that's supposed to stop making me help prevent me from being overwhelmed by my sadness and my anxiety. So I'm wading through all of the anger and acceptance and I'm craving the confidence very badly to just believe and maintain the faith that something's going to happen, something's going to give, something's going to change, something's going to come through. Um, I don't know how much more comfortable I can get with being uncomfortable because 
there's like a panic and a pressure that is just inherent with that uncomfortability that is is almost debilitating some days. And it's like my experience so far is that I can't have any expectations. And I feel like having faith is having a little bit of an expectation that things are going to get better, that there's going to be some turnaround point here. And, you know, I guess in some ways, I know one of the things I'm struggling with a lot is projecting this internal disappointment and sort of uh, shame-driven anger out onto people that are around me and that are supporting me. Like, you know, I've been in my parents' house for a little over a month, and all I can think is... I can't imagine that they're happy about this, you know, and I know they're trying to help me and they're being very generous and very supportive, but I feel like I'm invading their retirement. And, um, and so now it's like a new level of like, I owe it to them to get this squared away as soon as I can. And in some regards, I do feel like my vision is being clouded you know i just delivered a really big project that has a has the potential to kind of bring some spotlight my way it could always lead to more work um and i still have a lot of outstanding money to build them for this project and they this client has more work on its way i have these audiobooks that i still have to narrate and three of them so that's a couple grand right there so it's it's not like i'm fully at rock bottom anymore destitute but I'm definitely I don't feel and I don't feel I have provable enough income flow to comfortably go and get an apartment yet you know and it's getting really hard to avoid this really this regression feeling of you know I'm 43 and I feel like I'm in too comparable a position of like a just getting started 23 year old you know like almost where I was when I got out of college I was a little encouraged reading um, one of the message boards on glassdoor.com where someone in my age range was I forget I, I don't know what the how it started I think at the top there was a comment about how it's uh, it's all about mindset, it's all about not giving up, and it's all about having the faith and just continuing to try. And and uh, someone responded, you know, there's this whole situation going on now where the economy is bad, but you have business owners talking about how nobody wants to work. People just don't want to work. And at the same time, you have people like me, people in my age range, all right, enough over there. What, this dog just discovered I'm sitting here and they can't handle that I'm talking into a recorder? And, um, you know, this person mentioned that they've been trying for about a year, applying to jobs, sending resumes in, and because we're overqualified, that's now this big reason to not give us a chance or not 
you know, they'll give us the interview, but during the interview, they're talking to you and they realize that you're overqualified. And so they pass on you. And that's a tough spot to be in, too, because you feel like you're being punished for having made so much progress. And, you know, I encountered this with a job where I was lucky enough that they gave me some feedback when I got their form letter that said, you know, we're moving on to a different candidate. Thanks for your interest. And I wrote them and just said, hey, can I get some feedback as to why? Because I know that I'm over overly, I'm, you know, I'm beyond qualified for this position. And when the um, HR director responded to me and was kind enough to get on a call with me for about a half an hour, she said, well, yeah, 110% you could do the job, but I thought you'd be unhappy because it's junior compared to where you are career-wise, and it's for $10,000 a year less than you're asking for on Indeed. And part of me just wanted to be like, yeah, but, you know, is that really a reason? I mean, like, shouldn't you still consider the person applied for the job, you know? It's, it's like, I don't understand the mindset of, well, doesn't that just mean I'll be fucking awesome at this position? Doesn't that mean I'll just really kick ass? I mean, I don't know, you know, in the climate the way that it is, maybe being upset about being too qualified for a job, even though the job is still paying you enough money to survive on now, is a little bit of a luxury that I think those of us who've been trying to find a job for a year can learn how to forego and get by, you know? Um, you know, in some regards, in a lot of ways from my own situation, it might not be so bad to have a job that I'm overqualified for and could basically do an incredible job within the nine to five parameters because then that would still leave me the time outside to work with my freelance clients and then I'd really be able to recover. And this is all I know I'm repeating some of this. I'm sure this is stuff I've already talked about on the show. But just having seen somebody else post that and feel like they're describing my exact situation and that they're going through it. I know there's the whole old adage of misery loves company, but it's really also I think we need the, the assurance sometimes that we're not defective and I think sometimes the only way you can kind of get that sense is to see that you're not the only person struggling like this and that there are people in your exact same situation. Now, what that also means, though, is that those are the people that I'm also competing against for some of these jobs. And there's a part of me that has always had this weird um, toxic empathy, I guess, about that, where... While on the one hand, I would feel very relieved to get the job if I were, if it was me against somebody, let's say somebody that I knew, I'd feel very badly. I remember this is an odd comparison and definitely probably one I should avoid because it involves the narcissist ex that is at the origin point of this whole situation. But when I first met her, uh, and we were out socializing because we were at, a, at the same work function together. I felt like there was another guy who I was, I'm pretty good friends with, and we're still friends on Facebook. We both used to work for the same company. And I didn't realize that he had just gotten through a divorce and he was back on the market, you know, back in the, back in the game, as they say sometimes. And I felt like because she and I were being very kind of secretive about the fact that we were 
seeing each other. I mean, I guess other than showing up together at this event, <laughs> where it was like a, we went to a karaoke bar with a bunch of people and then moved to a second bar afterwards. And I felt like there were moments where I could see he had interest in her and he was being a little flirtatious. And I remember when she and I were going back to the hotel together, a part of me almost felt like, well, you know... I almost feel like maybe Jeff should have... <laughs> I'm not going to say his last name. There's a million Jeffs out there. How do you even know if Jeff is his real name? But I just remember saying to myself, man, I feel bad. Like, why did it have to be Jeff? And I almost, part of me almost feels like I wish he had had a shot. And maybe that was my subconscious uh, feeling a little bit of the apprehension about getting into something with this person. Um, and I remember, I think I even said this to her and she goes, well, what do you want me to go over and see him then instead? And I was like, no, 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 you know, come with me. But you know, it's this weird, if we can't all rise together, sometimes it's tough to be the person who gets ahead. And I know that it's kind of foolish to feel that way. Cause I, I guarantee the majority of folks out there would not return that kind of a sentiment, you know, like. I just know someone else gets the job. They're not going to give a shit that I applied for it and didn't get it. They're not going to care that I'm stuck living at home. Not that I'm stuck, but I mean, I'm very fortunate to have had this option, but that I'm trying to not have to rely on it. And I, I'm just really struggling a lot with feeling guilty about it. And I know these are all psychological bear traps that trip you up from making progress. And that it's like, uh, I need to really like let go of this getting stuck in my head. Because especially for the last few, it's almost like ever since I delivered this project for like the half a week afterwards, I mean, it's been like the level of depression where it's like I get up and I go for the long walk and then I get back and I can't bring myself to sit down at the computer. So I say, all right, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to listen to some Salvaggio frequencies and meditate for half an hour. And then at the end of that, I almost fall asleep. And it's like my motivation has got cinder blocks tied to its ankles and is being dragged to the bottom of the ocean. I found myself the last several days binge-watching Lost on Hulu, which, I don't know, like, there's been this kind of, there's been a constant reliance in this whole process on nostalgia and things that I love, and I've, I've, some of the research I've been doing, some of the things I've been seeing online, that's a very common thing for people who are struggling the way I am to reach out for things that they know they had once found comfort in and to rely on those to provide that again and in a lot of ways uh, I just did a, a rewatch of X-Files while I was finishing that project that I constantly had the X-Files on in the background I was just watching the mythology episodes and that was really cool Hulu is a painful platform though because I only pay for the tier that still has commercials 
X-Files, not so much, but with Lost, oh, it is it is like a knife <laughs> cutting through every time that goes to a commercial break. Because if you were to watch Lost on DVD or when it was on Netflix, and it would just be like that, you know, one of the things when it first aired was they would always hook you, where, like, going into a commercial break, you were like, oh, man, I don't even want to get up and go to the bathroom because i got to see it as soon as it comes back. And, you know, pretty genius on them for when that first was airing, really creating this sense. I mean, I think, obviously, Lost was sort of a milestone of uh, prestige, serialized mystery um, television, and, you know, the first few seasons, as I'm watching it, I'm really remembering, man, you know, there's a reason I got addicted to this show. The show was really, really good. Um, I think I'm start. I'm in season three now, and I'm starting to hit the areas where you start to go, okay, I'm kind of seeing where this is getting a little meandery, and I'm really wondering how I'm going to feel about the ending getting to that again um, all these years later. But... It's almost like the commercial breaks are a little bit of a smack in the face that every time I'm sitting there watching an episode realizing, oh man, I should have been working on the next edit or I should have been pulling together my financial information to send to my accountant because it's about that time that we filed the extension to that I have to get them all my stuff to file my taxes and see what we're going to do about the fact that I probably am not going to be able to afford to pay them, <laughs> you know, and maybe one of these fresh start programs will be able to help me out. And, and so I like, I try to, I try to bring those things up to myself to not be dwelling in the, in the scary side of things, but it's very difficult for me. I, I and I am sure that this is also why some of the more new wavy stuff I've been doing, like all this manifestation and meditation, you know, all these people online that talk about it and, and coach about it say, yeah, you know, I, I wrote this manifestation down for three days and the next time, the next thing I know, $10,000 showed up in my bank account or I was doing this manifestation and a new laptop showed up on my, de my doorstep and I'm like, okay, and I've been... I've been doing the 369 method of writing down the things that I really want the most right now. Um, you write them down three times in the morning, six times at noon, and nine times at night. And other than keeping me focused on them as goals, the double-edged sword of that is keeping me focused on the fact that I still don't have them. And it's things like foundation, a steady income, new job, new car, because my car has become a bit of a money pit in the last six months. Um, but it's the only one I have, so I have to keep it running. You know, it's, it's sort of feeling trapped in a lot of ways. But then there's part of me that goes, well, you know, dude, you could always just go start waiting tables and... At least you have some money coming in. It might not necessarily be a big step career-wise, but, you know, this is becoming survival mode, or it has been survival mode for quite a while. I think you could probably even hear in the way that this is all happening extemporaneously for me. I am a little bit all over the place. This is a very low-energy version of Manic, possibly. Um, and so maybe there's to come full circle to what my friend suggested, maybe there's some merit to the idea that I might need some help outside of myself and outside of just having parents letting me have a place to live to be able to 
start really moving forward and making real progress. I was thinking about calling this chapter Check Yourself because sometimes so much is happening at once that the overwhelm makes it easy to kind of fall into seeing it one way. Um, part of me wonders, like, should I have just stuck it out a little bit longer in the in the mansion, <laughs> you know, to avoid the feeling of guilt that I've got over invading my folks' place, but at the same time that I'm handing money over every month to somebody who's creating a toxic environment, so you got, like, where is, you know, weighing those two things against each other, it's a, probably a pretty easy call to make, but... There's so much of that that I should have seen from the gate that I could have avoided getting into that situation at all. I guess what I was really hoping is that by this time, this many entries in the journal later, this many months on this uh, road to attempt, really be putting effort into attempting to recover, that I would have more to show for it. And I, I feel strangely about finding comfort in knowing that other people are struggling very much the same way. I almost feel like, well, that's nice and all, but that doesn't get me any closer to the goal. And I don't want to be going into another new year. And it's crazy to be thinking about that as September is ending and October is beginning here. But it has been a long 10 months 11 months, 12 months of really trying to look at this in the cold light of day. And it becomes remarkable how fast a year goes by. I mean, 289 days sober, I'm not having not smoked any weed. That was uh, something I never expected to, one, see for myself, but two, also how quickly that came and went. It's been like moments of progress that I feel good about, but it's also been reminding me of how fast a year is going by. And then I've recently <clears throat> reconnected with the folks out in L.A. And I've had to sort of come to terms with how much a role my marijuana use may have been playing in the delaying or not coming to fruition of that plan for me to move there. Um, I think sometimes we don't really realize how everything looks from the outside. And that's, that's where I guess I'm also rethinking the whole thing with the mansion. And like, have I been allowing myself to feel like too much of a victim? You know, uh, I mean, I feel like I've been taking a lot of accountability for everything. And I feel like in some regards it is undeniable that there are others who have done wrong that have contributed to me being where I am. But I, I, I think in some ways I'm, I'm a little jealous of the folks who can bounce back quicker from things like this than I seem to be able to. And I'm... I guess I'm really worried about all these things like my age and my newly 
like my newly surfaced lack of confidence. Not that I feel like I was very confident before this, but I was clearly confident enough to be able to kind of navigate. And I'm really scared of having regressed so far. It's almost like, I mean, maybe this is just what starting over from scratch is like. And I think it's it's very hard to be seeing so many of my contemporaries on Facebook having the lives that I always imagined a life of an adult would be like. A lot of people owning homes, a lot of people having children and families. And here I am, I would just be happy to have my own apartment at this point. It really does feel like I've manifested my nightmare scenario. And I feel like, well, if I was able to manifest that, why am I having such a hard time manifesting the recovery from that and the the dawning of the greatness, you know? And I guess there's a part of me that's almost starting to wonder if I'm going to have to accept the idea, like, look, you know what? Maybe you're just one of the people that it doesn't happen for, you know? I mean, you put out these podcasts. I've been podcasting since 2006, and I've never made any money from it. And there are people who I feel like are far less articulate and far less visionary in some ways. Like they, their perspective is very juvenile and, and they seem to find the success or, or at least the audience is there. I, 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 I feel like I'm trapped in the wrong world sometimes. Or just that the things that I want to do just don't resonate with enough people to make it worth anyone giving a shit about. I know that's victimhood, right? That's that's making yourself a victim. But it's like it, it's one of those things where you just like it doesn't make sense. You know, like maybe after I die, people will be like, oh, man, he had some cool ideas. You know, how many famous literary figures only became famous after they passed away? I always consider that such a tragedy that someone had no access to being able to see the response to their work or at least the response that they were hoping for to their work and I'm really hoping that I'm not manifesting something like that for myself this is at the same time that I haven't really been you know beyond this podcast and and releasing all of the interviews I've had collecting dust for the last year on the main feed, um, even with the blog I've started, it's been, I don't know, since late July since I've posted anything there. And I know I'm dealing with a lot. I know there's a lot going on, but in order to actually be successful in any of these endeavors, you have to be doing them every day, you know, and, and finding it hard to not beat myself up over that. But at the same time, if I want things to change, I have to do things differently. <laughs> so this is a cycle and a half, man. You can you can hear the feedback loop that I get stuck in. So I don't even know how to check myself the right way. <laughs> you know, um, there was a small victory in getting to interview um, Daniel Knopf recently, the guy who created Carnival. 
And uh, if anyone hasn't checked that interview out on the uh, main Hollow Nine feed on Potomatic, that's definitely a, an awesome two-parter, an hour each episode. And it was meant to just be a sort of celebration of Carnival on the 20th anniversary of the show, but we wound up talking about a lot of things. And, and I've mentioned him on this podcast before because he is sort of this Obi-Wan Kenobi sage-like hero of mine, and he is the one who... Uh, gave me the advice of you know you just don't ever stop walking if your goal is to get to LA and you're in New York and, you're, and your only option is to walk you just start walking and you keep walking and every time you get knocked down you you get back up you could wind up getting run off the road and you fall down into the ravine and you're covered in mud and rocks cut you up and you just have to get up and wipe the mud off your face and keep walking and you'll eventually get there and I feel like I've been trying to live into that even if it's baby steps. And I have had like a lot of ideas sparking and I feel like every time I sit down to work on anything, you know, um, especially like this one project, I now that I just delivered it, it's almost like I had to put so much into that one because I had to compress my work time on it because of the multiple moves in the last two months. Um, it really took a lot and I also feel like it's hard to justify spending time on something that doesn't necessarily have a revenue stream tied to it and even though a new script or, or an outline getting it to someone like Dan to read and see if someone who's actually had some success in Hollywood thinks it's good enough for me to really try to do something with it that's sort of on that too much of a hypothetical dream revenue stream rather than a guaranteed one like some of the other projects that are sitting on my plate. So I don't know. Um, I often apologize for feeling like this is a replacement for therapy sometimes, this podcast, and that even just getting some of this off my chest helps feel helps me to feel a little bit better. And I am feeling like sitting here putting all these things out there in the world now that it gets them so they're not just rattling around in my own head. I do feel a little bit better about it. But I would much rather stay on some of those more positive energy kicks that I was getting and maybe... Maybe once I finish handling this financial situation and figure out what the strategy is there, I'll feel a little bit better about it. Um, I recently lost a client because they, um, their firm got merged into a bigger firm that already has a much bigger marketing department that, uh, I don't know, maybe they, they feel like they may already have their video needs handled. But um, fingers crossed that there might still be some opportunities for me there. But I think that kind of came as a real shock because I had only really started working with that client since April. And uh, we only got to do work for about five months. I mean, luckily, uh, some money came in from them. I still have some money on the way from them. And some of the video work actually was some of the some really good work that I'm, I'm I'm going to keep in my back pocket to be able to show potential clients. I think because of the branding involved, I might not be able to display it anywhere public facing like on my YouTube or my 
LinkedIn, but maybe I could put it on my website once I finally get that redesigned and see like that too. Like I know like I haven't made any progress on the website and that's like a big deal if I'm putting myself out there as a service provider and there's no web presence to go to other than my LinkedIn, that kind of, it communicates a lack of professionalism and unfortunately I feel like the world doesn't care that you're going through you know mental post-traumatic stress syndrome and recovering from abuse when it's just looking for somebody to edit video for their website you know so I feel like my heart goes out to people who have been dealing with these kinds of situations for a lot longer than I have I feel like I can see so much more clearly now how little I understood about what the real impact of having your world rocked can be. And I think even I'm hoping folks out there listening to this who've been fortunate enough to not go through it are getting a little bit of an insight too, because even so far this podcast hasn't even just been a steady uphill, you know, journey for me. There's been a lot of falling back and a lot of peaks and valleys and a lot of progress includes regression right you know um there are a lot of times when people are recovering from chemical dependency substance abuse that relapse is part of that recovery process it's interesting when it's emotional because you feel like you should have more control over that but the reality is is that your mind our minds are these really you know they make no sense (laughs) You know, and and even within our minds, there are so many of those layers that disconnect, right? Like your emotional versus your logical, you know, we'll let our emotions override what is clearly right and wrong or good or bad. And that's a, it's an interesting phenomenon to be saddled with. Um, And it's funny because I was watching a video recently on... It might have been a Facebook reel where there was a debate on the existence of God. And I don't like to get too religious because I haven't been very religious most of my life. I've become more spiritual over the last, I don't know, decade or so. But there was a very learned individual talking about how we we can't define the true nature of God because of how limited we are by living within that which God created Um, and that our world is made up of time, space, and matter and that whatever created that has to exist outside of it and but even to say that our existence is only made up of time, space, and matter doesn't account for all of the intangible Occurrences a phenomenon like love and hate and passion and, you know, um, the human emotional elements. And so that in and of itself would imply a creator with an intelligence beyond that which we can uh, comprehend, but we're limited in our ability to or limited in our ability to identify it and understand it. But he even said, you know, when you look at time, space, and matter, how did he put this? He said it was sort of like even in the Bible, they're all there right in the beginning. You know, in the beginning, time, 
God created the heavens and the earth and it's space and matter. <laughs> and he said, and even right there, it's a trinity of trinities because time includes the past, present, and future. Space includes length, width, and height. And matter is solid, liquid, and gas. And so, so it's like these magic ratio, you know, this ratio of three, six, and nine there. Um, and that in and of itself, you know, in one sentence in, in a, a text that a lot of people find their foundation for their belief system on, you have so much complexity. And I don't know, you know, I think for a lot of people, the journey to just feel at one with that is enough to avoid all of these thought traps I get caught up in. And I even start to wonder if just focusing on the financial difficulty and the sense of obligation to fix that is being so myopic and in a way is still being chained to the past. I found myself this morning waking up and one of the first sort of confusions was whatever I was dreaming about, I can't remember, but I remember the dream being very vivid. Like within the first seconds of waking up, I felt like I had just transported back from someplace else. That was a reality that mimicked our reality very much. And one of the things I found my mind searching for was I remember a time where part of the routine I was living was I would occasionally bake these muffins because I would go grocery shopping and I would buy these Pillsbury muffin mixes that were very simple I think it just required you add milk <laughs> and 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 the contents of the packet and you know putting them into a, a muffin tin and I was starting to think, well, when the hell did I do that? Was that when I was living with my former roommates? Was that when I would visit my parents? Was that when I would go visit my, my grandmother, may she rest in peace, when she still lived in Pennsylvania? And I suddenly realized, like, oh, no, that was during the two and a half years I was living with my narcissist ex. And, I, and my life had shifted from, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five grind career guy to Mr. Mom who's also trying to be a freelance video guy. But, I, you know, I, I try to... I'm trying to be able to, these days, think back on those times or have those memories occur and be able to at least acknowledge and hold on to the positives while not getting pulled into the darkness of the pain around the negatives. And making muffins, as odd as that seems, was tied to how much the kitchen was sort of my domain in that relationship and that I never thought I'd be able to cook food, you know, cook a, meals for a family of four, five, six people. And that's kind of a life skill, I guess, you know, and, and it definitely in my time living with my former roommates, they would always tell me that they would get food envy whenever I would cook because I <laughs> clearly knew a lot more of what I was doing than they did. And they were, they were much more likely to be ordering takeout or doing very simple, less than healthy recipes. Whereas I was trying to make balanced meals, you know, and, and, and using spices and using, 
and preparing food, you know, like I would marinate meat overnight and I would know how to cut chicken the right way to, to prepare it in different ways or pound it to make marsala, you know. And so at least I feel like that was something I could carry forward so that all that time wasn't wasted. But it's weird how, even as I'm talking about it now, the time and place is so hard to remove from that. That like, yeah, it was cool that I made muffins, but that is tied to making them for her. The same way that there was a recent time where I was making my coffee and it threw me like headlong into remembering that I used to be sort of the in-house barista and that I had perfected, you know, making the coffee and making, you know, preparing my coffee, preparing her coffee, also making her some chai tea. And I, I would be lying if I didn't say, if I said there wasn't a resentment of the fact that I'm still struggling so much. You know, it's funny, recently somebody reached out to me on LinkedIn because they're a uh, retired professional who has kind of got a second life going on as a voiceover artist. And in their outreach message, they said, hey, your ex, you know, she used her name, but she said, your ex told me to, I don't think, and I, and I don't think she realizes that she's my ex, but she said, hey, your ex told me I should reach out to you. My name is so-and-so, and I'm a voiceover artist, and I used to work with your ex, and we used to serve on a lot of committees together, and she said that, you know, you might be someone that would have some opportunities, and I hate to say it, but all I think is my ex sent a new flying monkey because... I've separated myself from all of the old ones and I certainly haven't reached out to her and she hasn't reached out to me. I have no idea if she listens to this show or not. I wouldn't be surprised if she did. And yet here's this person and I feel like, am I the one perpetuating everything by thinking that? And so I, I did not connect with her, but I responded to her message and said, hi, uh, nice to meet you. I don't have any projects going on right now that I would need anybody for, but I'll keep your information, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. But I still haven't accepted the connection because I feel like I can't trust that it's not going to be the kind of thing where my ex is reaching out there going, hey, you know, did you talk to Dave, and what's he doing? What's he up to? I'm sure she can find all that out if she's listening to this. <laughs> This might be hard for her to listen to since I throw so much shade her way, but it's hard when you feel like you're the only one whose life was ruined. You know, I've been seeing a whole slew of new people joining one of the support groups I'm in on Facebook, and there are some very intense and sad stories out there. And a lot of the people that are telling us these stories are like fresh off the battlefield, you know, just breaking up now, just left the person two days ago, broke no contact after a week. Um, and I remember that time. And I, it's undeniable that I'm in a more progressed place from there. But part of me is a little loath to respond to some of their messages because 
I don't want to be disingenuous and I know that I still suffer in a lot of the same ways that they're suffering right now. I see myself in a lot of the things they're complaining about. And maybe that triggers some of this element of, you know, it's really hard for me to hang on to the fact that the risk I took required bravery. And I remember feeling a certain sense of chivalrous nobility about what taking a step like that meant about how I felt about my ex. But when you're the one who is staring down the barrel of possibly never fully recovering from it, it really, it sours you on the idea of the amount of sacrifice inherent in serious relationships and it really does make you feel like are you ever going to find anybody who would be worth something like that I saw a meme recently on Facebook that said someday you will find the person that chooses you each day, every day, because they're out there. And it's really hard that after all this time and all this reflection and all this realization and all the confirmation from experts and people who know more than me, to still think that that was who I thought she was. And that because it ended so badly for me, and because I've been shown how weak I am and how difficult all this is, as much as I have to worry that career-wise, am I just one of those people that it doesn't happen for? I mean, at least I can say now safely that I tried. I tried with LA. Maybe I messed it up, but and maybe I have a chance to fix it because we're talking again and in some ways I have to maybe repent being so harsh and discussing it on this show, but we'll see what happens. But by that same token, am I just one of those people that doesn't get to find their person because it's really hard not realizing not only the last one but maybe all of the ones I've been with all of the people all the partners that I've chosen throughout my entire life haven't been the people I should have chosen some were better than others obviously some were some were closer to it but And that means that that suddenly makes me wonder if I'm the defective one because I'm the common denominator. There are, there are people who follow that philosophy to the letter, right? Like, well, what's the common denominator in all these relationships that failed? You. Well, it's like, yeah, but you're also the one living the life. <laughs> How could you not be the common denominator in all these things, you know? Um, but I just wonder, I mean, I know... Growing up, I never thought I would have a partner because 
of what I experienced as a younger person. I just seemed like I wasn't very popular amongst the peer groups that I was growing up with. I was never, let's say, let's put it this way. None of the people I had crushes on in elementary school or middle school or high school in the town that I grew up in ever would see me in that same light. And I feel like there's something there that, which I felt like in some ways when I went to college, that was very much not the case. I was able to find relationships in college and I, I was pleasantly surprised that there, I wasn't sort of a defective freak that could never find anybody. And then even obviously after college, I've been able to find relationships, but the foundation that was laid early on was like, yeah, dude, you're not in the club. You're not in the crowd of people that gets to do this. <laughs> and it was funny because I feel like maybe after I had found my first girlfriend in high school who went to a different high school and suddenly people were like, wow, Dave's in a relationship. And they do say that that happens, that there's a lot of sort of a shift in perspective once you get into a relationship with somebody else. But there's something very disingenuous about that too, right? You know, like, oh, now that someone else took the plunge first, now you want to consider it? That's, I don't know what it was. I don't know why. <laughs> and I don't know why at 43 I give a shit. <laughs> Talk about regression. And so if, if but it's it kind of, you know, I think one of the things I'm struggling with too is I don't even know really what my dreams are anymore. And if it's not to have a partner, well, then why do I need such a nice place or, you know, I do want a nice place. I want comfort. I want a pool. I want to live near a beach. But does it have to be a place that I need to feel like I can entertain people at or that I can bring people home to? Because I don't know that I necessarily want that anymore. I mean, I do. I hate the loneliness. The loneliness factor of where I'm going through is compounding everything. But I also feel like I don't have the time nor the foundation to even be looking for anyone, even if it was just on a casual basis. So you got to check yourself, but it's, I feel like maybe I'm checking myself from a less than healthy spot or perspective at the moment. And I am... I don't know that an entry like this is as helpful for people out there because I don't think people who are struggling necessarily want to just listen to somebody else struggling, but I think it's a, f a fact of life with all of this that the struggle is very possibly going to be something that is present forever that we never fully, truly recover. I mean, even uh, when you think about someone who's going to NA and they are sober for years, the minute they take a drink or the minute they take a hit or the minute they indulge in what it was they had to get sober from, you undo all that progress. You have to start over from zero. Now, I never thought of weed as the kind of thing that was so detrimental that you had to look at it that way. But every time I tell myself, oh, man, just get get through a year and then maybe you can casually go back to it. All I can think now is, man, that first hit I take 
And I've had, I know that has happened in dreams. There have definitely been dreams where I've broken my fast, and within moments of doing so, the first thought is, "Oh fuck! I got I just threw away a whole year." And I'm sure I wouldn't be as maybe I wouldn't be as depressed or I wouldn't be as struggling with the emotional side if I were still numbing myself. But the fact that I know that it was numbing myself. There were times where I felt like I wasn't even really getting high anymore. I was just smoking because I had the oral fixation and because it was part of my routine. But then as soon as I would run out, I'd be like, oh, I got to get more. It's, it's an interesting dichotomy there. But I know that the first time I do it after stopping for this long, I'm going to feel an intense level of disappointment. And that even starts to play into the idea of like, well, if L.A. might still be back in in rotation here, it might be part of the plan. They call it California sober, where people are sober from everything but weed. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's a very big concern. I mean, I actually, well, now that I think about it, I have not gone to any conventions since I stopped smoking. And one of the interviews I, I posted... Um, and it's funny because I can listen back to them and hear myself definitely stoned in some of these conversations. And I go, man, you know, you can hear it. I don't know how I feel about representing myself that way. And you remember thinking, oh, it's not such a big deal when it was happening. But when, like listening back to it almost a year later going, oh, dude, you just sound like a pothead. But one of the one of the interviews was with... Um, a purveyor was with somebody who was the first uh, cannabis vendor that was allowed to vend at the New Jersey HorrorCon. And you could hear on both between me and them the advocacy, the sort of working against how demonized it's been over the years. And I'm sure there's a little bit of that feeling from everybody about whatever their particular poison of choice is. And I feel a little conflicted about it, but I, you know, I needed the content. I did the interview. It was a pretty good interview. If I can help people find some of these companies and individuals online, I'm happy to do it because everyone deserves to be able to make a living. And if there are people who are able to control themselves with it better than I was, more power to them. But I don't know if I could give myself that kind of permission to use it casually without worrying that it would get out of control again. I guess time will tell on that. But I I don't know how I'd be able to even experiment without feeling like a little bit of a hypocrite. But by that same token, if I were in a gainfully employed, stable, founded, living on my own two feet again situation would I be seeing it in that same way? Because it certainly wasn't the reason I lost everything, but it wasn't helping once I needed to bounce back. So I guess I'm checking myself on that as well. In any case, thank you for listening. Um, I am promising everybody that I'm trying my hardest to do better and I'm really trying to not have days like this anymore 
but I feel like no matter how hard I try, they still come back. So I'm working on that. And I know that there are probably those of you out there struggling with it as well, so please uh, don't give up. Please feel free to share with the show anything you'd like at hollow9podcast at gmail.com. That's the word hollow, the number nine, I-N-E, podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Put feeling it, healing it in the subject line. Um, hopefully some of the folks on who've been listening to us on Salzburg FM, Salzburg.fm, the radio station run by my buddy Drew Carson, um, that invitation's up open for you too. I know that the show notes only has the U.S. National uh, Suicide Prevention Hotline in the show notes, but I, I feel like I should start including some European uh, resources in that same regard, so that everybody knows that this show is not specific to one region. This show is about is about a universal phenomenon, and how we're all trying to help each other recover and survive and make sure that the intermission does not become permanent and that we don't miss out on our next and possibly greatest act to come so keep fighting and I'll be back so until next time You've been listening to a production of the Hollow Nine Network. Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery, featuring Dave Maresca. Thank you for listening to Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery. Dave Maresca is not a trained medical professional, psychologist, psychiatrist, or licensed professional trained in providing therapeutic mental health care. This podcast is an account of his life experiences and meant to be just that. Any advice or suggestions made in the extemporaneous dialogue of the podcast is not intended to be medical or legal advice. If such advice is what you're seeking, you are encouraged to seek out the services of a licensed professional. The Hollow Nine Network and Dave Maraska assume no liability or responsibility for the information provided in these episodes. <laughs>